Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to all of you, and thank you for tuning in to another Bright Style with Technicia. Today is June the 12th, 2014. We have three more days before Father's Day, so happy Father's Day in advance to all you fathers out there. I hope you enjoy your day when it comes. Celebrate it every day. Enjoy that last moment. Never know when it might come. But today is a special guest. It's always, it's always a special guest. Many of us remember Hurricane Katrina. We know that was one of the most deadliest and most destruct, um, destructive Atlantic tropical cyclone of the 2005 Atlantic hurricane season. It was one of the most costliest natural disasters as well as one of the deadliest hurricanes in the history of the United States. And it was named to be one of the seven most intense Atlantic hurricanes ever recorded. But here with me today is a gentleman who actually, well, he he experienced that moment by inviting a stranger into his life, and he has a great memoir out called A Quarter Inch From My Heart. With me today is Kevin Scott Hall, who will be talking about this memoir and about the stranger he invited into his life that brought new paths and journeys along the way. Kevin? How are you doing today? And thank you for being on the show as well. I'm doing great, Technicia. It's great to be here. Thank you. It is. And, and, and it's, it is amazing that you actually encountered these moments with this person. But I, I want to get more into you, Kevin. Let's mm-hmm. get a little bit more background detail about your, yourself. Okay. Uh, so basically, I'm a, you know, typical small-town guy who had big dreams, uh, moved to New York in my early 20s after college, and to be an actor, that kind of changed course over over the next several years. I had several years as, more as a singer-songwriter, and then about 10 years ago, I went back to college to get my master's degree in creative writing, and uh, decided to start writing. So A Quarter Inch from My Heart is my second book, actually. The first was a novel, and this is a memoir. Now, what what actually made you want to write this memoir? Well, that's a really great question. I actually, as events unfolded with this situation, I think a writer is always trying to find meaning in life and things that happen and I never really intended to write a memoir but this story was so incredible to me and uh, life affirming in many ways and life challenging in many ways that I needed to write about it to just make sense of it and as I started pulling all the elements together uh, my editor and a few other other of the early readers really encouraged me and, and said that this was just uh, an incredible story to tell. So I continued to refine it over the last five years or so to turn it into this book. It is an incredible story to tell. I mean, this person who you encountered actually went through the Hurricane Katrina, and I, 
I cannot imagine even going through that, trying to risk your life just to go through all that water. I mean, who can imagine? We look at movies like Titanic, you still cannot imagine going through all that drastic measurements. Right. So what was it like encountering the stranger, Maurice? Well, um, I should say, you know, I had met him once before, about a year and a half before the hurricane. I was on vacation with some friends. It was one of those things where you're running around Bourbon Street and meeting people in the different bars and things like that. And um, we had met him, and then I got to talking to him. I found him to be really funny and engaging in a lot of ways. So it was just a, a typical encounter, and I gave him my card and said, you know, if you're ever in New York, give me a call. Um, little did I know that he would call me in October 2005 and say that he was in New York and he was staying in a shelter. Um, so I made an appointment to have dinner with him the next night to kind of see what his story was like. And I met him, got to talking to him, and uh, was hearing about the kind of bad situation in the shelter. And I just... Uh, kind of on a whim, but also listening to that inner voice inside me. I called it the voice of God. I said, why don't you stay with me until you get back on your feet? So that was the uh, the encounter with Maurice and how this story unfolded. Wow. And I was, I think I was in probably my early 20s when I actually seen most of the evacuees come to Atlanta, Georgia, and they were trying to make their way. That was that was devastating. Because let me see, right. this happened around, uh, no, 2005, yeah. I was around in my mm-hmm. 20s, around probably about right. 20, 23, 24, yeah. That had to be devastating for most of them. I mean, just all all that water and, and then property damage. I mean, oh, boy. And basically finding your way right. to another city with just the, you know, exactly. the backpack on your back or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You just can't, you can't imagine that. No one can really say that unless you've actually been through it. Now, also, in your memoir, you mentioned the remembrance of your friend, Neil. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I opened with that in the, the memoir because I had a good friend that uh, passed away a few months before the the hurricane earlier in 2005 and i i start the memoir with that because i think the 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 loss of that friend who had known me since you know i was 10 or 11 years old we'd been through a lot of things together and he died suddenly and unexpectedly kind of i i think psychologically that put me in a place where i was uh not really grounded and looking for a, a way to to make sense of his death and so when Maurice showed up it was kind of like another friend was coming into my life and I um, perhaps uh, you know made a, a rash judgment to invite him into my home that I might not have otherwise made if, if that you know if I wasn't didn't have that kind of hole in my heart from the loss of the friend a few months earlier okay wow that had to be devastating you lose a friend and you meet someone who's actually going through something, then all of a sudden you lose them. So how long was it before Maurice passed away? So, yeah, the the book mainly takes takes us through. So so the, the until you get back on your feet part of the, the uh, promise was that didn't really happen. Um, he stayed with me for two and a half years. And, okay. Uh, 
And as he stayed with me, while our friendship grew in many ways, I mean, we, I did become very uh, close to him, and it became like a brotherly relationship. On the other hand, I also there were other things that came out, um, possible mental health, health illness uh, problems and drug problems. So he had other issues besides overcoming the trauma of, of the Katrina and the moving and all of that. So uh, he didn't really get back on his feet, but I kind of helped him as I could, and my church helped out. Um, we had a social worker at the church that helped out trying to get him. He had held down various jobs, but he didn't quite get back on his feet, but he did eventually show some spiritual growth and um, was just getting to the point where he was ready to move out on his own when he started to get very sick. And, um, yeah, I, it turns out that, that he had a cancer, but beyond that, he was diagnosed with um, with AIDS, which was kind of late in the stages. So he ultimately was not able to overcome that. But the last six months of his life were very meaningful for him and for me. I think he went to a higher place spiritually, as did I. I think we both learned a lot of great um lessons uh in in the time he was with me and in particular the last six months he was he was with us why it was meant for you to run into him because he brought something into your life as well as you bringing something to his life i yeah. mean god sent i mean it's amazing too kevin because god sent people in our path without us knowing what the reasons are sometimes and we don't know it just that you don't always turn that down. See, you didn't turn the opportunity down. You opened your door because a lot of people will have closed that door. Oh, I don't want to be bothered with that. But you never know who God was. See, it could be a baby. It could be an elderly. You you don't know. So right. you, yeah, you opened up your door. You represented it. You did. And now, I think what I, I like. No, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Okay, so yeah, I I think at the time uh, a lot of people thought what I did was crazy. And if you look at it as a same person it was a crazy thing to do but i had there are very few times in my life when i feel like a voice is speaking to me and in that moment when i was sitting with him in the restaurant i clearly heard a voice that said take him in and there was no question about it i was and then so when i said why don't you stay with me until you can get back on your feet it was a moment of kind of insanity but i felt very sure that i was doing what I was being guided to do. And it turned out that it, that was the right decision um, from all that has happened since then. I have no doubt that I made the right decision in making that choice. I can't advise it to everybody, but I do advise you, when a voice speaks to you, listen to that voice. That's right. It wasn't. It wasn't no doubt at all. You had faith in yourself. God had faith, and he let it happen. And uh, it kind of reminds me of Winston Churchill when he said the price of greatness is responsibility, and that was mm. that was responsibility. You took it upon yourself. Let this man into your life. Right. So, you know, I like the book because the book is full of people who represent the bad and, and the good of humanity. Now, Kevin, how did the title come about? Well, there's a there's a backstory uh, in in the in the book, um, the, it, which is told in flashbacks, what happened was um, we're coming up on a 20-year anniversary for me, but 20 years ago I was uh, 
seriously injured in a street uh, stabbing, walking down the street, just, you know, innocently minding my business. And somebody came up to me, asked a question, pulled a knife out and, and stabbed me in the chest and in the arm. It turns out this was a serial attacker had been, who had been attacking a few people that week. So it was in the media. I was the last person he attacked uh, that week. He, will, he was caught that night. I identified him in the emergency room. But the next morning, the doctor came in and he said, uh, that blade came a quarter inch from your heart. If it had moved this way, a quarter inch, it would have hit your lung, or the other way, it would have hit your heart, and you probably wouldn't be here this morning. So that has always stayed with me. Um, and so that, to me, worked as a title, because when Maurice came in my life, in a certain way, just for our own protection, despite the, the love that was between us, there was also, I felt I had to keep him a quarter inch from my heart, and he probably felt the same way, just certain kind of trust issues and and uh, not either not wanting to, being afraid of getting too close or afraid of 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 if you let somebody that close to your heart, it's going to break in a million pieces again. You know, so so there, that that's where the metaphor, the analogy works: the quarter inch of, from the blade to the heart, and then the quarter-inch distance that we sometimes keep from each other for our own sanity, if possibly. And see, God always had that final say. He wasn't ready for you to leave. And as Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 8 says, but, you know, when God says it is well, all things will work out. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. One thing about a doctor, they're not the final say. They're just there for backup to me. And a lot of times they do their best, but we mm-hmm. also have to put our trust in the God. And I know a lot of people sometimes they might get offended with doctors. or doc- Yes, they are, but they're not God. They don't get the last say so over your life, my life, or whoever's life. Right. They, they would tell you, oh, it looks like you won't make it. Why? Why won't I make it? That's, that's your final that's your final opinion that I won't make it. You're not going to try. So I tell you, God is a powerful God, and we just have to believe that no matter what what we are unsure of, we just got to know that he got that final say, and that's all that matters. And I'm glad that you're here with us, Kevin, sharing this wonderful story with us. And I hope that the listeners take that heed into this and and really trust and believe into your memoir. And as I was telling my guest yesterday, he had two memoirs, and one advantage about a memoir is that you're it's accurate. You're putting all your you're putting all your stuff right there on the table. You're 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 spilling everything out to these readers. But the only right. disadvantage is to me the only disadvantage is the fact that you don't know how they would take it. The readers. Right. You don't. But right. I just hope they take this and and really know that this is what you're this is you, Kevin. We, your life, as I told him yesterday, your life is in our hands now that we're reading this. And thank you. I would like to. You're welcome. And Kevin, what would you like the reason to really get from this memoir? Well, I want to first respond to, to what you're saying there. It, it is a very scary thing to write a memoir because you have to become very vulnerable. But you kind of realize there's also a strength in it because it's very much what you say. It's beyond your control at a certain point. It's letting go and letting God. Um, that it's now 
the, it's no longer my story. It's it's in God's hands. It's in the hands of everybody who's going to read it. And we don't know what the impact of that story is going to be. And you just have to trust that God is going to let those ripples go across the pond and touch people in different ways. So um, in a sense, writing the memoir at a certain point was not about me and what I wanted. It was just following and continuing the path that started when I said, why don't you stay with me until you can get back on your feet? Um, so the things that I would like the readers to take with them with this memoir is never um, – I think that uh, you're right. In the book, there's also the, the, the best and worst of humanity uh, in that book. But I think that, that that if we keep our eyes open, we can see God in people and don't ever turn somebody away or look away because they're not what you want to see or what you want to have or or as a as a partner friend whatever um everybody out there has the potential to teach us some amazing lessons and um when we go with on faith and decide to do something in our lives um, that is rewarded in unexpected ways. We can't control and what what we want to do and how we want to run our lives eventually, or we should be open to that voice that, that tells us to do something completely unexpected, and then the unexpected uh, uh, blessings will come from that. Right. It sure will. Yeah. yeah. You just, and, and it will. And you'll just be amazed at the peace you, you can receive by both getting out over yourself as well as by helping others. And helping others can truly be one of the greatest gifts to ourselves. So as Kevin said, don't always turn the other cheek. You don't know who is at your door knocking at that moment. And that's what he did. He opened up his door. He took that chance. And you loved, when when you read the book, you really understand the relationship between you and Maurice. And that love was mm. unconditional. Yeah. And, that's, and it's very important to love yourself unconditionally into love and give someone else that love. So that's what I really liked about the book. When, Thank you. When I, my, I, you're welcome, Kevin. Oh, no. So, yeah, and I, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, during that time, the book, as you know from reading the book, it was a, often a very challenging, difficult time. But at the same time, my faith was never stronger. I felt during that two and a half years that, wow, every day is is alive with possibilities. Every day is a new challenge. So it was difficult, but because it was, there was, uh, my, my cup was full of love and faith at that time that I knew um, incredible things were going on inside of me and, and for him and, and the other people that were involved as well. Now, also, you mentioned the book about Maurice stealing and using your credit cards. Uh, yes. What, what point? In, what point? Right there, were you able to forgive him? How did you even? How were you able to cope with that? Well, I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I did at, at first when I found out, I, I asked him to leave, and. Um, so it was very difficult. There were a few times during the, the course of that where I asked him to leave, and then one way or another he found his way back. Um, 
But in the greater scheme of things, like he didn't he used the credit card for small purchases, like at the drugstore, things that he probably thought or hoped that I wouldn't notice. Um, so in the grand scheme of things, I realized that with his background, he had grown up as a, as a foster child and, and had been let go by his foster family. He had a very difficult life long before Katrina came along. But I kind of realized somewhere in that process that what he did was was wrong but it was not that the forgiveness was more important than whatever you know he did spending a few dollars on my my credit card and it was important for me to also be able to not be so self-righteous to uh, to have some mercy there um he knew that what he did was wrong and when he came back he he admitted that and and didn't do anything like that again so um so the forgiveness ultimately became trumped trumped became more important than the actual uh sin of the stealing there important more important for him and more to be forgiven and more important for me to do the forgiving right and that's how wounds being spiritually wounds can they confess into infections if we leave it untreated so right that just that goes by just saying you have to forgive in order mm-hmm. to be forgiven you got to forgive and i know it sounds crazy to a lot of us but that's it's just the way it is because a lot i mean you really look at it no one is perfect you have right. done so we have done probably mo- much more than that just stealing or something else because everyone has committed the sin so i'm glad that you was able to overcome that because I know a lot of people have been like I ain't forgiving you don't stole my credit cards you don't lost your mind right yeah I'm glad that you you looked deep into that and gave that mercy up and and really that love that Jesus has towards us and really none of us deserve it but he loves us for who we are not because of what we've done right right and you know technicia like he really as I described in the end of the book he really did change i mean as as i did i i kind of more changed after he passed away and i thought about it and wrote about it and then i recognized a lot of things but he was changing during that time and and um as i write in the book the first time he went to the hospital he was a very angry suspicious person and he was giving the hospital personnel a hard time and and all of that but by the time he was going into the hospital those last couple of times. They absolutely loved him. He had changed so much in the six months that they loved being around him, and they mourned with the rest of with me and the other friends that he had made um, at his passing. It was just the people in the hospital were just so sad about that as well. They recognized how he had grown to be a loving, spiritual person toward the end. So... Um, the choices we make um, about forgiveness and love and faith can can have an impact. It can, and mm. that's and like I, and like I said, I know forgive us sometimes hard, but it's it is essential if you want to break out the bondage that is brought you under and forgive others. It just opens you up for the Lord to begin healing your soul, your inner healing. Right, and as and it comes from Matthew chapter six verse fifteen, since unforgiveness blocks us from receiving God's forgiveness of our sins. It puts up a wall between us and the source of our healing. So not forgiving someone, you will always keep that wall up 
So just remember that. It's hard, but do your best. You have to pray for that. It's not easy. I have been hurt, and it was hard for me to forgive that person who hurt me. But you just, it, it keeps that blockage. You can't get a healer from God, and you're actually blocking him. That's what you're doing. When you put up that wall, you're blocking God. So just think of it that way. I'm blocking the mm-hmm. Lord from entering into my life. Right. So Right. Yeah. Now, also down the road, you mentioned that you you was aware that Maurice had became was bipolar. How did you come aware of that, Kevin? You know, he had. There were a lot of um, during the time he stayed with me. There were there were some. Uh, uh, issues like he would disappear for two or three days at a time, and I suspected it was some kind of drug issue, and it probably was that because um, uh, he'd had drug issues in the past that he finally had told me about. But it was more than that. He had uh, like really um, occasional like mood swings where he would just be lying on the couch, kind of depressed all day, and then other times when he was just really. Um, joyful and fun and cheerful and and just a great to be around and and I was not I'd never I'd been around depression before but not really bipolar or schizophrenia um and I didn't really know but um after he passed away I had another roommate and uh, it's kind of a funny little story actually but um there were pills Maurice's pills were in my uh, medicine cabinet, and the new roommate came in and said, why do you have those pills in your medicine cabinet? And I said, oh, those were Maurice's sleeping pills. And he said, if I ever really need to sleep, I should take one. And I said, they really work. I took one once, and I slept for 14 hours. And my uh, roommate had had some uh, uh, experience with these issues in the past, uh, and he said, he said, those aren't sleeping pills. That's Zyprexa. That's for people who are bipolar. And I said, oh, my gosh. And uh, it, it's like a light dawned. I totally, then everything made sense. Um, and, again, I think a lot of, like, Maurice's issue was never wanting to admit that he was sick. He never could say um, that he had AIDS. Um, and certainly if they told him he was bipolar, that wasn't something he was going to tell me. Uh, um, and maybe for him it was just a way of relaxing and sleeping. But um, So I, when I found that out, it really made a lot of sense to me. I said, that explains a lot of the mood swings and the disappearing acts and things like that. When I read up on, on bipolar disorder, um, those were some of the symptoms. So another issue that he was dealing with. I know because being around bipolar people, it is scary because, like you said, they go through their different mood swings. One minute they're happy, energetic, or one minute they're irritable, and you're like, okay, what's really going on? Because a young lady who actually worked with me on my job is was the same way, but she was taking medication for it, and she knew that she was that way. And she mm-hmm. would sometimes, if she, if she smelled bad or something, she would she apologize for it the next day, be like, I'm sorry. Because she, she didn't know that at that moment that she was going through that. So it's a very serious condition. I know a lot of times right. we catch ourselves, maybe even myself, catching laughing about it because I'll be like, oh, you act like you bipolar. Because some, some people do be acting like it. And I'll be like, I really be want to know, Kevin, oh, Joseph, did you get diagnosed for this? Because 
I don't know if you in or out or you bipolar or is that just you switching in and out? Because one young, it, it is, it's another young lady on my job. She told me that, she said, I might be bipolar. I just haven't got diagnosed. So I hope she right. does. I hope she listens to the show and please go get diagnosed because it's scary because that's yeah. such a mood swing. And I need to know if you are or if you aren't. And if you are, please get help for that because right. I don't want to get <laughs> And and I know it probably go through other people's mind, Kevin, like, because I don't know if you're going to hit me or not. That, that's a serious condition. It's almost like being schizophrenic. Yeah, and I think people don't realize that that it, it's an actual medical condition that, that uh, you know, a psychiatrist can, can uh, give you medicine that will help with that. Um, and, you know, some famous people have been diagnosed bipolar and, and things like that, like Patty Duke uh, or whatever. But, um, yeah, if, and and I think probably a lot of people do go through much of their life without being diagnosed, and people just think of it as, oh, he or she is moody or they're depressed today or or something mm-hmm. like that, And when, in fact, there's something in the, the, uh, uh, the you know, the chemistry that's just not right and needs to be balanced. Right. Yeah. And we be ignoring it, thinking, oh, they just in a bad mood, or here they go. Right. We we don't want to think of anything wrong, but I do. I be worried because I right. just don't need you one minute to be looking at me in my face, and next minute you stabbing me in my back, literally stabbing me in my back, because you you need help. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And that and that's amazing. You didn't even know that. I'm thank I'm thankful that you didn't have to go through any of that, but you didn't even know that you was living around that type of person. No, I, it's probably it probably ended up being uh, uh, good that I didn't know because that would have been one more kind of Thanks obstacle worry about. to overcome and that's something to worry right. about and try to find like expert uh, psychiatric help and all of that. Obviously, he was. I mean, there was a social worker that he was seeing, and obviously someone diagnosed him and put him on the medication, but he had this good sense not to tell me, I guess. <laughs> he probably, he thought that too. He's like, I can't give Kevin one more thing to worry about with me, you know. And we laughing now, Kevin, but look, you be having right. one eye open, the other one closed, like, okay, why are you moving at a certain time? Where are you Wait, where are you going? <laughs> right, right, right. It is. It's very scary living around people like that. Yes. Um, so what what do readers find to be likable in your book, though, Kevin? Um, you know, it's it's uh, the, amazing. The book has only been about, out about three or four weeks, and there have already been okay. um, five or six reviews on Amazon about it. That, right. And I read those Amazons, Amazon reviews, and they're really – deep um which tells me what i was telling you which which sometimes god speaks through you through you in a way that uh i'm not even aware of so they're finding these these deep meanings in the book but i think uh what was your question again <laughs> i'm getting lost here um oh i was, I was oh what are readers what finding in it yeah um i think that they're finding you know uh, what you mentioned earlier, like what what does it mean to love somebody unconditionally? What does it mean to step out of your comfort zone and and give give 
hospitality to a stranger, um, which actually was quite common back in biblical times, but we don't really do that much anymore. And, and um, yeah, like what does it mean to, to um, uh, you know, what does it mean to forgive? How many times can you forgive somebody? When should you stop forgiving somebody or should you stop forgiving somebody? So I think the book raises a lot of questions. I don't think that you come out of it with any big answers. I think ultimately, although there's a lot of tragedy in the book, I hope that by the end of it there's also um, a lot of hope and inspiration in the book that indeed um, – with our faith, we can overcome a lot of things in our own lives and helping other people out of their troubles as well. Right. Now, in the book, I know that you, at some point, you kind of felt like you were following right back into your father's shoes, especially when Maurice had went to full-blown A's, and then, you know, it was like, he, you felt like he was becoming lazy, just lying around on the couch for hours on end. Right. And that's what you said you had, again, taken on your false attitude about illness. If you can walk, talk, and eat, then you're okay. Right. Um, so at some point, you did feel like giving up on him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's, this is the, the, another issue that comes up in the book, but when you're a caregiver for somebody that's sick, either with, um, you know, mental health issues like bipolar, which I didn't know at the time, or going through a depression or a post-traumatic stress incident like probably would have happened after the Hurricane Katrina and the move, not to mention all the other things he'd gone through earlier in his life, or when you're caregiving for somebody who's just been given um, a, a, a terrible diagnosis like that, um, it can be very tiring on the caregiver. And a lot of times I think we don't realize that the caregiver needs help as well. And I thank God that that my church kind of helped me out. A few people really helped me out at that time. But I probably didn't ask for as much help as I, as I should have, you know. But, um, yeah, it's a burden for the caregiver as well as the person who is being cared for. And I think that the caregiver can, as good as their intentions are, they can run out of patience as well just because they're starting to get really tired with with the with the caregiving aspect. Um, so, yeah, um, that that thing of, you know, like to me he looked fine and and – to me, he was eating and laughing and, and walking around. So I'm thinking, why can't he get up? Why can't he do more? And um, people need to work through that. And, and it's uh, the caregiver and the people around them need to recognize these, these things right. don't happen overnight. You know, you don't just get a diagnosis and then just because you physically are fine, within a month, you can't expect this person to just jump back into a job or jump back into, you know, a, a normal way of living. Right, and I have had guests previously on my show, and we talk about caregivers, and sometimes they do go unrecognized, but don't think that, I, I, and like I said, I know it would sound like cliche, but your work is not forsaken. 
everybody has a purpose down here, and sometimes it is to take care of others. And it gets, you're right, Kevin, it does. It gets tired somehow to see about people. Because I used to be the same way with my mother growing up because she would stay sick most, and I'd be like, oh, Lord, I can't do this, I can't do that. Because I was a teenager, I'm like, I want to go outside and play, but I got to stay in here and take care of my mother. But you know what, my mother, she, well, her health is still about the same, but she's doing better now that mm-hmm. she's Asian. She, she's doing better. So it's not overlooked. God don't overlook nothing. Maybe people, but not God, you know. Right. So I'm glad, right. like I said, you, you stuck in there for the long run. And trust mm-hmm. and believe me, right now, he's looking over there. He's smiling right now. Maurice happy. He happy. Oh, oh, oh yes. No <laughs> I That's very much thing. believe that. Right, he ain't got to worry about nothing else. No bills, no suffering, no worrying, no medication. He's free as a bird. Yeah, there was very much, at the end of his life, there was very much, um, you know, there was grief, but there was also peace because I think we recognize that. And if at the end of the book, um, as as you know, um, when I was going around and dispersing his ashes to different places and things like that, I would get signs, um, um, very strong symbols that showed me that he was watching down and he was smiling. And I completely believe, believed in those symbols, believed those symbols. Right. Oh, boy. I tell you, your memoir, people are just going to have to really get deep into this because it's so it's so much. But we're going to take a short commercial break, and we're going to be back with Kevin on the spot. So please don't touch that dial. Stay tuned in on Blog Talk Radio. There's only one station that will keep you happy, Blog Talk Radio. We're taking more of your calls at 347-426-3751. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this commercial break. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. You see me around the neighborhood, and they tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. All right, we're back on with Kevin Scott Hall, who is the author of A Quarter Inch From My Heart. This is a... This is a deep and telling memoir, so I hope people do pick this up, and we'll give you the site where you can go and buy the book later on in the show. Now, Kevin, in Chapter 28, is this more of the words coming from you or more from Maurice? What, okay, I don't have the book in front of me. What's what's that chapter? Uh, what's, what's going on um, in that chapter? It, it, it starts off with those who have been given a diagnosis of an incurable disease may understand the layers of self-protection you have to work through when faced with an 
AIDS diagnosis, and I felt like this was coming more from you. Yes, yes. Um, so, so yeah. The other, you know, another uh, in telling Maurice's story, I had to tell my own story as well, which is that I am also HIV positive, and it brought oh, me back to the time when I was diagnosed and. Uh, it was very much, uh, and people need to understand, even if you are physically fine, you get a diagnosis like that, and it just kind of like knocks you back, um, knocks you over um, for, a, for a little while, and you start thinking about when the doctor tells you, uh, you know, you need to be taking this medicine and this medicine, and this is, you realize my life has changed, and uh, you're going to have to start a new uh, regimen and and you keep thinking of possible side effects and and how uh you know your your behavior is going to change and a, a kind of a a process of who are, who are you going to tell and how are you going to tell them and and all of that it becomes a a whole uh, a whole process that that is ongoing it does, that it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen in a week or two weeks or even five years and and in fact in writing this book i could not give honor to maurice's life and his issues without being honest about my own so when he became diagnosed and we found out that's what the problem was i had to kind of come out and tell about my own diagnosis um and part of of my doing that when i when maurice was was living with me was to say maurice it doesn't have to be this way look at me i'm going to work i'm going to school i'm doing all these things you can get better um there are medications now that can help you you can um live a very full and active life um so i was trying to show him by example um Unfortunately, in the time that he had left, he couldn't right. overcome the psychological hurdles or the physical hurdles. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, yeah. it, it, brings, it does. <laughs> you get you get caught up if you There's don't know. There's a lot of deep levels what, in this book. <laughs> right, and if you don't know what it's actually like between Maurice and Kevin, you will experience every bit of you feel like you're right in this this moment with them. You get caught up. You yeah, do, you that's, really what, that's what readers that's what readers have told me. They felt like, you know, they were in the room and, and going through all these experiences with me. Um which is you know, was very gratifying to hear. And I and I don't shy away from the tough questions in the book either. Um many of which I'm still asking, you know, about these life issues uh that are not easy to resolve. Right, and especially when you have to come out and tell people that you have this to look at you differently, they yeah. think, oh that's, oh, that's the end of the world with you. No, it's not the end of the world. And you it's know no that, color. And what gets me, Kevin, because people think it's a color on it, it's not a color. That's why I had to, get, I had to block one young lady on Facebook from even mm-hmm. responding to any more comments when I had a, another lady on a black woman named Darlene King, and she she said she had caught HIV from her cheating past her husband. Right, And right. she made a remark, oh, I thought it was only a black thing. He, uh, and I was like, really? 
are we doing this? Are we right. really that immature? Yeah. And, and it's, it's got it. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's I not like a, right. No, there's no color on know. it, and there's no, there's no uh, uh, sexual orientation on it either. Um, right. Yeah. And I'm so yeah. glad you're on here saying that. It's no color people to, to this disease. It's everywhere. It's right. everywhere, and you cannot right. tell who has it. They can look so perfect and pretty and be the gorgeous thing on earth, and you don't even know that they got it right next to you, but you still talking to them. And it's hard for, like you said, it's hard to come out and say, oh, I got this while people showing away from you. Yeah. No, it, 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 there, that was probably one of the hardest things for me to write about in the book because it was where I had to kind of bear my own soul and say, okay, whatever the consequences, I need to, like, tell my own truth here, you know, and, and move forward now with that out out in the open, you know. Right. But uh Well What um well Kevin, well I would like to know what actually drew the line to whether you need to help Maurice or actually save him? You know, oh that's a great question, Technicia. <laughs> um that's a really great question and, and Somebody told me um, after they read the book, a, a sort of a, a spiritual friend of mine, and she put it very well. She said, um, we as people, we are called to help people. Only God saves people. And I think that that's a, um, you know, something to, to really keep in mind that that probably somewhere in there I, I took the directive to take him in um, and followed that directive but somewhere in there, the the lesson for me also was to find a way to get help for myself and and recognize that I can't save a person. I can only do so much. And I need to, you know, it was great that I could help a person, but in that process, I also learned that I'm not perfect. I've had made mistakes, and I haven't come to terms with a lot of the things that I've done. And, you know, I could use some help, too. Uh, I need to be saved, too. But uh, it's not people that, does, that do the saving. It's it, God does the saving. We're just, you know, instruments that can only offer our help. And, and we don't want to burn ourselves out trying to uh, save people. Otherwise, we're no good to ourselves or to them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so true. It it is. Yeah. I mean, it's by the by the end of that um, two and a half years of that relationship, um, uh, you know, it, it had taken a toll on me. You know, I had gained weight. I had kind of like splotchy skin. I mean, it was nothing really obvious like that that required. Right. Uh, my own hospitalization or anything like that, but the stress of that that two and a half years did take a toll. And uh, you know, I look at pictures of myself back then, and I say, "Wow, I'd, I'd really put on some weight, and I was really, um, you know, stressing out every day." And that's uh, ultimately was not, uh, you know, good good for me. And I think I think Maurice recognized that as well. And uh, right, yeah, and it's a. You know, it's amazing because, well, I don't know if I'm using the right word, but some point in time that you really wanted him to just live on, but somewhere in his heart he was giving up. 
he starts finding this as a death sentence, as you mentioned in the book um, near chapter yeah. 37. He, he didn't want to take his medicine anymore. Right. I, I, and like you said, I, I think he was feeling that too, as you mentioned as well. He was just feeling, if I live on, I will be a burden to this man forever, and that's something that I don't want to do. He wanted to ask your papa see you happy, Kevin. He didn't want you to have to see him like this. Because, you know, when you're grown, people don't want you taking care of them. Just just the same way when people get, when they become older, they don't right. want you changing their diapers. They're, they're embarrassed by that. I'm a grown right. person. I got to let another right. grown person take care of me. But there is nothing wrong with that. When you get down sick, all of us have to go back to a child one day. You yeah. never know what yeah. time that is. So I think that's when he probably wanted to start giving up. I'm not going to let Kevin go through this. I'm going right. to give up. I, I, just, I think he knew when God right. was calling for him. He just didn't want to tell you, Kevin. He didn't want that yeah. burden on you anymore. I, I think you're absolutely right, and I and it and ultimately, as I describe in the final chapters, I think that he ultimately gave the greater love because I really do think that he came to that decision and he sacrificed himself for the better of me, and I really recognized that, and I said, "Wow, he gave up his life so that I would have life," because I do feel like that he recognized that he was pulling me down like all of that stress and all of that and and he and he said yeah you know like um you know kevin has taken care of me for a couple of years and i'm ready to go i'm ready to get over this pain i'm ready to find the freedom and the peace and i want him to go on and 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 get healthy and happy and and do what he needs to do and and i do see signs that it, that he's smiling down on me that that was exactly the plan you don't realize that right away in your grief but after you know a year or two go goes by you start seeing the signs that this was all in all in the plan all in the master plan right and yeah oh boy it does it it is bringing tears to my eyes now because oh i shed a lot of tears writing that book (laughs) Right. You you didn't, I mean, you you can only think about I didn't get the last phone call or or this happened. I mean, oh, it it is. And I I know Maurice, like I said, he's looking down. You're cherishing this moment through this book. And, no, he wouldn't want us to sell the fact that he's actually gone. He wants you to know that he's still here. And he's happy. Like I said, he's happy. He's happy now. He don't have yeah. to deal with AIDS or no more getting that final say from the doctor. So I'm I'm happy that he's in a restful place. Right. All of right. us. Yeah, so am I. So am I. So, yeah. So, uh, Kevin, when you did this book, why why even go through the memories? Why, why take yourself through that past? Well, like I said uh, early in the program, uh, I think that it is a, it's a writer's job, uh, or one of the things that a writer tries to do is use language to figure out life. And the process of writing about that very difficult time helped me to not only get over my grief, but it also helped me to understand why things happened and and understand myself a little better, why I did certain things and why I acted in certain ways. And it helped me to understand him better. So sometimes you need to, 
to go deep and go through the pain in order to come out the other side. Um, you know, without the shadow, there's no light. Uh, so, uh, and in fact, you know, when I wrote the first draft and my publisher wanted the story, um, they, I was very happy, but when they sent it back, it had all kinds of red marks all over it, and I thought, what are they doing? I thought they liked this. And uh, the editor explained to me that we love the story, but you're telling it like a journalist, like this happened and this happened and this happened. He said, but we want to see your heart and soul in it. We need to know how you felt during when this happened and with, when this happened. So I had to go deeper, deeper into it, which is what memoir is. So... Yeah, I mean, I remember sitting there typing up certain chapters, and I just was brought right back to it, and I'm crying as I'm typing away. But uh, ultimately, you come out on the other side, and um, you find the joy, and you find the the, the great message uh, that that is bigger than you and bigger than me. You know. <sighs> No one can really understand. We all know how it feels to lose someone. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sorry that you actually had to go through that. And I know that was a long journey for you, just that moment, just losing him right there in that bed, knowing that his spirit was gone from his body. I mean, right. it does. It brings, it brings tears to my eyes because, like I said, we all empathize when we lost someone who was true to us and and everything, so I I can really empathize with you, Kevin. As Thank as you. I even look, as I even look in the book now, I am I'm shedding tears. I know the one can't <laughs> cannot see me shedding tears, but it is it it's emotional. That's why I said I if if you don't get emotion off this book, you got a cold heart. <laughs> yeah, but, I think um, so. I think so. Uh, you got to add this book to your list. That's all I can say. Add it to your list. It's, is that powerful? But um, before we get off the air, I would also like to get, get into the happy moments. You you had a career as a singer and a songwriter, too. Yes, I did. Um, I performed in uh, cabaret clubs in New York and a few other cities for several years and uh, recorded a few CDs, one of which is still uh, uh, available, and um, it's called New Light Dawning. And... Uh, uh, yeah, so so, and I've, I went back after I went back to get my master's degree. I now teach. Um, I teach uh, at a college here in New York, and um, so yeah, there's a lot of uh, joyful things that have happened in my life. And and I should say that although there's a lot of big issues and sad things in the book, uh, I think also. Uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's also kind of gripping and you find yourself going from turning the pages um, to see what's going to happen next. And and it's it's a, a very fascinating read, I think, what people have told it me. Is. So, yeah. It is. One of those books you cannot put down. You won't mm. – you don't want to actually put it down at all because <laughs> you're going to want to keep going and going to find out more what actually happened. I know, Kevin, I gave you a little sneak preview, but it's still best that if you read it on your own because you're not going to still get the full effect from this interview. You have to actually go in detail with this, and that's what the book is. It's going to every detail, everything that you think you know about a person. It just, it's just going to open your mind up to so much insight. 
But, Kevin, can you tell us how we go about getting this great memoir? Thank you very much. Uh, yes, the book is called A Quarter Inch from My Heart. And, again, my name is Kevin Scott Hall. And you can find that at uh, Barnes & Noble. If they don't have it on the store shelves, you can ask for it. They can order it for you. You can also find it on Amazon.com. And um, if you have a local bookstore, please ask them to, to carry it or order it for you. Um, so we do have national and international distribution uh, available there. Or you can go to the actual publisher, wisdommoonpublishing.com, and find me there, and they will tell you all the ways that you can order the book. Well, I do. Like I said, I thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on to the show and enlighten us with this information, opening up to us. Because I know that's the hard thing for anyone to do, just to open right. up to others, especially a stranger. But I do, and I cannot wait for your next writing project to come out. So I would just make sure I stay in touch with you on Twitter. And you can find yes. Kevin on Twitter um, also um, by his name, Kevin Scott Hall, and right. keep up to date with what through his journey. So, Kevin, thank you so much, and God bless you. God bless you, too. This is a wonderful interview, and I'm so glad that you found the uh, spiritual insights in the book, and it was a pleasure speaking with you. You, too, Kevin. Stay in touch. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Well, listeners, I, I hope you do open your hearts and get this grand book. It's awesome. It's spiritual. It's emotional. It's all happy. It's everything in one and like I said, if you don't feel it, then you actually have a cold heart. But tune in with me tomorrow at noon. Always, you can hit me up on Twitter, tday 60 I'm on Facebook, Technicia Day. My Facebook fan page, The Bright Side with Technicia. It's always a pleasure to have you tuning in and chatting with me. And as always, I'm so happy to have you too, Heather for tuning in with me. She always chatting with me, and it keeps me going every single moment. But I'll see you tomorrow at noon, and you stay blessed. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless.